this is Fundraising Radio, and today the guest speaker we have Matt Nixnix, co-founder and CEO of 60.ai that was recently acquired by Niantic. And in this episode, we'll mostly focus on how you find your initial investors, how do you prepare for a fundraising process, etc., etc. So, Matt, I'll let's kick off by you giving us some background on yourself and on 60.ai. Yeah, well, um. Uh, let's see. So I, I founded 60 a bit over two years ago. Um, but you know, it was like uh, 10 years or so working in augmented reality. 60 was a, a computer vision, augmented reality computer vision, you know, technology company. Um, and before that, I'd spent a long career in, in like, um, telecom infrastructure, software for mobile, you know, mobile, inf- mobile carrier infrastructure and, and routers and hardware and switches and things right back into the late nineties. Um, so 6D was, um, you know, was my second AR company that I'd started. Um, previous to 6D, I'd, uh, worked at Samsung for a little while and before that had another AR startup called Deco that, you know, raised a little bit of money and ultimately, you know, failed for being too early in the market. Okay. And, um, you know, worked at a Dutch AR company called Layar, um, even earlier than that in around 2010. So, um, 60 wasn't just a, you know, off the, off the cuff idea that, that sort of struck me when one day it was, it was kind of this progression of, Ideas I learned working in mobile led me to, to join Layar and start, you know, exploring augmented reality. What I learned there, I, I used to help start Deco. And then I picked up, you know, learnings from Deco and, and took them into Samsung and then, you know, took it even further, you know, in, in 6D. So it was definitely, um, you know, this, this progression of learning and, you know, understanding the market, the problems, the technology problems, the user problems, the design problems. And, um, um, you know, led me to kind of come up with the, the, the thesis behind, um, behind what, what became 6D. Mm-hmm. Got it. And what exactly does 6D do? Yes. So 6D solved a problem, um, that, you know, every AR app is, is going to have, you know, irrespective of whether it's on a phone or a, or a headset, um, which is that, in order for us to kind of believe that the virtual world and the digital world are, are mixed together in what we see, the virtual content needs to, you know, behave in the real world as if it's physically there. So if, if something goes behind a wall, it needs to disappear. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, if it, you know, if something, you know, bounces into a tree, it should, you know, bounce off the tree. Um, and so to do that, you need a sort of a digital model of the tree for the digital content to, to bounce off. And capturing that digital model of everything, like of the whole world, inside and out, mm-hmm. uh, was, you know, is, is needed. And someone has to do it. And the approaches of building these 3D maps, you know, up to before 6D involved, you know, sending like Google Street View cars with LiDAR or drones or airplanes or even satellites and things to get these models of cities. But none of them were ever going to get your living room, you know, let alone the, the laneway behind, you know, the pedestrian laneway behind, you know, your corner store. So the only way to really capture that information was, was going to be using the phones that we have in our pockets and the, the cameras that those phones already have. And so 6D solved 
the computer vision problem of letting a regular camera um, build a 3D model of whatever it saw um, in real time. So it could, it could mm-hmm. wave your camera around and it would, it would capture this 3D model and then that 3D model could be used for augmented reality you know, content to behave properly. Got it. Yeah, that was like a really impossible problem, and <laughs> it was solved by my co-founder, uh, Victor Prisicaro, Professor Victor Prisicaro at Oxford University's Active Vision Lab, and that was, you know, arguably one of the, the top computer vision labs for AR in the world, like augmented reality on or SLAM on mobile phones was invented in that lab, and um, that led to... Um, you know, a, a sort of spinning the tech out and partnering with Oxford to create a company uh, on the basis of that IP. Nice. So first of all, uh, before we move on to the fundraising part, I'm curious, how do you partner up with Oxford? What does that mean to partner up with Oxford? Yeah, so Oxford's a little bit uh, unique in, in terms of universities and that most universities have a, a technology transfer, you know, division. And usually what that means is you, you, know, you meet the professor or you hear about the research from some, some student mm-hmm. and the university then licenses the company that, that technology in exchange for some money and a, a royalty or something. Um, Oxford does it differently or they, they do do that, but they have an, a, another program which they call a, a spin out. And what that means is that the professor, um, themselves can, um, co-found the company. And the university mm-hmm. takes a small equity stake in, in the company. Nice. And you not only get the IP that you're after, but you get ongoing IP. Um, and you get all the professor's time and effort as well as, you know, any, any research that his lab develops. So we were a, a brand new company and we had arguably, you know, an equivalent research lab to what Apple or Google or Facebook had in, in terms of this, this specific problem. And I mean, negotiating that was Ox- with Oxford was a, you know, six month process. It was, it was oh, so out and, and difficult <laughs> and it was, you know, they hadn't done a US tech company, a software company before, but they wanted to. So they had to understand, you know, US corporate law and, you know, we had venture capital coming in at the same time, which was mm-hmm. they they do it in two stages instead of one. There's just a lot to to work through, um, but you know their attitude was always incredibly supportive of of what Victor wanted to do. Um, you know, and they they ended up being an incredibly valuable partner to uh, to work with. So if, if I had that opportunity again to do the same, you know, trying to solve the same sort of deeply deeply technical problem. Um, yeah, it, it turned out to be a good a good partnership. That's really interesting. I actually didn't know that you can actually like partner up with the, the university, but now I do. Now the listeners do as well. So yeah. let's move on to the fundraising part. So it sounds like a really really complicated solution in terms of technical uh technical difficulties. Uh, how, when did you decide to raise money? So do you already have some sort of MVP developed, or do you actually start raising money? prior to developing an MVP? Um, we, were, we were really lucky in, in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, don't know if lucky. I mean, some luck, some preparation. Um, so I'd, I'd obviously started you know, AR companies before and, and had raised money and then failed. And, and I saw, I, you know, I, I knew just how painful that was and I never wanted mm-hmm. to go through that sort of pain again. Um, 
so with with this company, we spent a lot of time before we raised money, really just getting the technology to a, to a demoable state. I, I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd call it an MVP, but it, you know, when when you're working with deep tech, just just the fact that it works, you know, is uh-huh. an accomplishment. Um, we we met a lot of, you know, I, I tapped all my network of kind of ten years in the space to find potential you know, customers and, and validate that it was what we wanted. Um, we obviously had the Oxford reputation and brand on board. Mm-hmm. Very few, you know, early stage companies have that sort of, um, right. you know, team behind them. And we, you know, I'd written a couple of blog posts posts about AR that that were very very popular and, um, you know, explaining the technology and and sort of so I I'd, I was kind of viewed as a you know, as, a, as an industry leader uh, you know, on the commercial side, and Victor was clearly one of the world experts on the technology side. And, you know, we had working technology and, um, um, you know, some, some at least evidence of, of interest, you know, if not demand in, in what we're doing. And so that really just made the fundraising process um, completely different to what I'd experienced in the past. Um, you know, we were, we were really lucky in that, you know, I'd also been investing a little bit as a, as a, you know, early pre-seed investor at Super Ventures. Mm-hmm. And so I, I kind of had made a lot of relationships there with, with early stage VCs in the space. And so when we, um, when we thought, yeah, look, we probably, well, actually, we weren't even sure whether we'd raise money. It was over a lunch and, and, um, you know, our first investor, uh, who turned out to be our first investor, I was talking about what we're doing and he said, can I invest? And I said, look, we haven't even incorporated anything yet. We're not even sure if we want to raise money. And he's like, look, I'll write you a check right now on the spot and <laughs> tell me how much you want and just tell me the terms later. And here, I just, I just, and I had to kind of like stop him from doing that. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he ended up writing, you know, a $300,000 check and, and then brought in one of his LPs for another 300,000 just on, on an uncapped note. And that, that just never happens like that. Yep. I, you know, I, I just thought this is, this is, I knew how, how, you know, fortunate we were that this wasn't normal. Um, and then that led us to sort of being like 4X oversubscribed with demand for the round and getting cold calls from investors just, you know, on a, tw- by the end of a 20 minute cold call, they were asking to put money in. So <laughs> it was, it was, yeah, I, I wouldn't. Yeah, like I, I know that that just doesn't happen. Um, but rather than kind of try and, you know, optimize for our own short-term win on this, um, we really looked for a lead investor who, you know, who would help us grow the business and could mm-hmm. bring, you know, uh, future funding down the road and. And so that led us to meeting um, Nico Bonatzis, uh, General Catalyst. He was, you know, very interested in in this spatial computing space and was kind of learning. And he felt, you know, what we were trying to do was, you know, two things. You know, he thought he thought we were potentially a really home run investment, um, but he also, you know, recognised that we we had insight into the whole space and we could help. Um, help him and, and General Catalyst kind of learn more about, about AR. And so we ended up, you know, partnering with, with, with General Catalyst and they led our round and then we, you know, were able to fill the round out with, with a couple of, um, very helpful, you know, participants in the round. 
and it was we did it as a price round. You know, we brought Nico on the board, like all these things that as a early stage founder you're often told to avoid. Um, <laughs> keep control, you know, jack up the price, get the best best valuation you can, all that type of stuff. We we didn't really follow that advice because we consciously um, looked at where we thought our business was going to go, and um, and we we really wanted to build a long term partnership, you know, with mm-hmm. with someone, and and that was one of the best decisions we made. It was it was really really worked out well for us all the way through. Awesome. That sounds like a not common story, you know, getting numerous cold calls from email uh, from investors, but that's great. And you mentioned something that really caught my attention here is you were looking for a lead investor. How exactly were you looking for the lead investor and where were you looking for the lead investor? So what's your advice for uh, earlier stage uh, startup founders in terms of finding, you know, that lead investors uh, yeah, in some platforms? There's... um. Yeah, it's it's like we were in a in a very you you can't kind of make it happen through running a, a great process. Like it's not like it's not like through the fundraising process you can get the outcome you want. You've got to actually have the the market, you know, the the market for your product, for your your what you're doing, like irrespective of investors. And we were we were fortunate that we had you know a lot of hype around AR, like AR Kit and AR Core were just new. Um, We'd kind mm-hmm. of capitalized on some of that hype through our own, you know, my own blog posts and, and social presence as well as, you know, having the Oxford brand on board. And, you know, it was the back of, it was on the back of that that we were able to get, you know, more investors wanting to invest than we had room in the round. And then because of that demand for our stock, we were then able to, you know, focus on getting a lead. Um, Lots and lots of investors are very happy to participate. You know, there's so much interest in participating, but not for leading. And Mm -hmm. I think if, you know, if I was in the situation again where, you know, maybe the market wasn't so hot or we couldn't, you know, we couldn't sort of get enough interest from one investor to, to write a check for more than half the round, I would, I'd quite happily just set my own terms and, you know, raise on, you know, raise on a whole bunch of people without, without a clear lead. Um, I think you can do that for the first, whatever, one or two million that you yep. raise. Um, but you've got to realize that if you do take that strategy, um, you're, you're making life harder for yourself down the road. Um, where, you know, a lot of, a lot, again, like another lesson I learned was that, when you're fundraising, you shouldn't really be thinking about this this round right now, even though that's it is all you care about. Because mm-hmm. what all you really all you really do when you when you raise the round is you you kind of now set the bar for the next round. Right. And if you raise, you know, just say you've got a lot of hype and you raise at like a, a seed round and raise like three million on on a twenty million dollar post money, which I mean. In a COVID world, that's that's not happening again for a while. <laughs> but but really, what you've done, you know, you might think you might be feel quite proud of yourself because hey, you know, we we negotiated hard and we got these really favourable terms, and I'm still in control of my company and blah blah blah. Um, what it means now is 18 months from now, you really need to be raising at like a, a 50 or 60 million dollar pre-round pre pre money valuation, and just to get that 
you know, three X uplift that, you know, investors kind of expect. Um, and you, that may be a bar that's just impossible from, for where your actual business is today. And you may have been better off raising at, at 10 now because in 18 months you could be a $30 million company. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you've got to really take an honest look at what, what metrics are 100% guaranteed achievable um, in that 18-month time frame. And I think thinking, you know, of the next round as you're raising your current round is is just a lesson of, you know, again, it's kind of like, are you, are you hoping to maximize your long-term return from, from this startup? Or if you're just really looking to raise a seed round and then flip the company to, to someone else, mm-hmm. um, then yeah, optimize the hell out of the current round, um, and then try and sell it because you've, you've taken as little dilution as possible. But if you are thinking, look, we're going to be here for the next three or four rounds of funding, as we grow up to, you know, 10, 50 million plus in revenue, um, then you, you really need to be thinking about how, how does, what, how does what I'm doing now set me up to succeed for the next round of funding, which I expect to need? Mm-hmm. Right, right. And let's talk here about the acquisition that, <coughs> sorry, <coughs> that you mentioned. So you actually, I, I really forgot to mention that, uh, 6D got acquired like a month ago, right? Two months now, yeah, close two, two months, months ago. Two months ago, so it was a very, very recent acquisition. Do you actually prepare for it? Why do you decide that right now is the time to sell it? Do you just sense the coronavirus coming up, or was it some, you know, something nothing, else? Nothing to do with coronavirus. We we had no idea. It was it was only like we signed the term sheet in in kind of mid February, and coronavirus wasn't really a you know mm-hmm. fear then. Um, the so the the decision to sell well i mean even for the 6 months prior we were pursuing you know big revenue opportunities we were pursuing fundraising and we were pursuing you know an exit of the company um and we wanted to to really make sure that we had looked at the whole market and any decision that we made was going to be the best um mm-hmm. you know the best option for us in in today's market the we were, we were a little bit a victim of our own success and a little bit of a victim of, of you know some mistakes we made. Um, what we were very successful at was convincing the world, you know, particularly the, the big platform companies, that they needed this ability to build a, a 3D map of the world, and it was going to be mm-hmm. a big, important platform for them to build. So they'd all started investing, investing quite a lot. You know, are behind the scenes in, in building out, you know, what we told them to build out. Um, huh. at the same time, you know, we, we were targeting developers, AR developers as our customers. And what we were wrong about was that those AR developers had no money. You know, we thought they would have, mm-hmm. and the budget all was with product managers who buy apps and services, not SDKs or not APIs. Um, so we were at a point where it's like, okay, if we want to grow this business, we need, you know, high volume, high usage apps on our platform. Um, so those apps, we either have to build them ourselves or we have to um, change our go-to-market to focus on product managers or we need to, you know, change our business and pursue like big enterprise, you know, multi-million dollar projects. Um, and... Looking at 
you know, the sort of slowness in how AR was taking off in the market, looking at the sort of investments that a lot of the big companies are making and the recognizing that we needed to get to scale very quickly and even a big round of funding right now, which they're, you know, the, the AR VR market had cooled. So no one was going to drop a $20 million, $30 million check onto a unproven market. Um, um, we felt that, look, the, the chances of getting 18 months down the road, like taking on a round of dilution, getting 18 months down the road and having this higher hurdle to clear for an exit or, the, or a B round, um, we felt that was quite risky. You know, there's, there's quite a high risk of, of that not working out. And, <coughs> and that we had like a real you know, exit opportunities that were, were going to be a win for our investors and give them all a positive return, give the team a good outcome, you know, everyone on the team, and, um, and really let, let us basically take an exit and then, you know, do something new in a, in a year or two's time um, was a far, you know, better investment of our, you know, of our time and, and the capital that we had raised. And so that, that led to, you know, the decision on that front. And then, you know, as we, you know, got the offer for a term sheet, negotiated the term sheet, like signed it in mid-February, and then saw COVID just start to steamroller over the whole economy, we were just very, very lucky that, that we had, you know, turned out that we made the right decision exactly. Um, because because all, all of our hypothesis about the market being slow to emerge over 18 months were just absolutely crushed, and, and I don't know when now the market is going to come back. Like, even the, the, the general economy is going to come back. Right. No one no one knows that. And <clears throat> Sorry for losing my voice here. Uh, but I have two last questions. One is you mentioned earlier that you started investing in you know, early-stage companies even prior to selling 6DAI and... What happens after you sold it? Do you still do angel investments? Do you serve as an advisor to earlier stage startups, or do do you stop doing that stuff? Yeah, so right now I'm I'm kind of what I mostly wanted was just a break, some time off. You know, it's been mm-hmm. like ten years now of like you know working <laughs> in AR, um, and so what I was able to agree with Niantic is. Um, I'm working as an advisor to Niantic, um, uh-huh. the, at least for the remainder of this year. Um, there's potential, I think, for me to find a full-time leadership role inside Niantic, if, if that's of interest to, to me and them. Um, I really like what Niantic's doing. I'd, I'd love to help help them with that vision. Um, but at the same time, I also have got so many startup ideas that... Hmm. You know, we didn't get to complete inside 6D and I've got investors that are, you know, quite happy to support me again. So I'm really just now, you know, advising Niantic, giving them, you know, support and some, you know, whatever, whatever help I can get mm-hmm. uh, while trying to take some time off. And um, I'm sort of actively helping. I mean, not not uh, not in any formal way, but just, uh, you know, like friendly help with any mm-hmm any startups that I've come across or any that I want to reach out and, you know, particularly any, anyone in the space that's like, you know, like black or people of color or a minority or women, those, those companies that I think don't, um, you know, don't have visibility or access, you know, I want to try and make my, 
my learnings and my network, you know, a, a available as, as much as I can before I jump full time into into something else. Got it. I actually think I have a female founded company that's working in AR still, so <laughs> yeah. I'll, I'll connect you afterwards. If you yeah, wish. Do. But let's let's move on to the last question of today's episode, which is call to action. So this is a thing that I'm trying to do with all my speakers, and it's giving one small. Uh, advice to listeners that they should do as soon as this episode is over. So something small like, I know, uh, following someone specific on Twitter or, you know, going through Crunchbase and reaching out to specific investors or reading a book, whatever comes up into your mind that you want the listener to do as soon as this episode is over. Um, yeah, I mean, the advice I would have given a month ago is very different to the advice I'd, I'd give now. Um, <laughs> I think right now, is is kind of a time to think about you know the bigger problems in in society um, and try and think about how you can you can help in some way um, particularly you know particularly people that don't have access to you know the 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 you know privileges the expertise whatever that that you might have mm-hmm. um, so I'm I'm trying to encourage people just to to listen and and try and try and help where you're asked to help um, whoever that is in, in whatever way you can and so for me that's that's trying to help founders who you know are kind of struggling in the XR space and or even even employees and executives who who may want to um, you know want some mentoring or want to change jobs to do something a bit more a bit more ethical. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of the I mean it's kind of non-specific advice, but <laughs> the advice I'm giving myself at the moment. Um, you know, I realise how lucky I was with with the timing and everything on 6D, and I want to somehow um, you know uh, you know somehow make something of that um, rather than just you know hide away. Right, right. Yeah, that does. Makes sense. It's not a specific advice, but it's a good one, I think. So at this point, we'll wrap it up. Uh, thanks a lot, Matt, for coming up and for sharing your experience on 6D. I think it was, it's a, it's a pretty unique case. I uh, loved hearing about it. I thought it was going to be more of a standard, but now I see it's not really a standard path. Uh, that was no. another the hype uh, of the investors. So thanks a lot for sharing it and have a great day. Thank you.